This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. We heard a lot about Russia during the Trump presidency. Most notably, we were force-fed the cooked-up and eventually debunked lie that the Trump campaign colluded with the Russians to steal the presidential election in 2016. But what many don't realize is that Vladimir Putin certainly did play a role in the 2016 election and went for more disruption to America in the most recent presidential election as well. In fact, as my next guest points out, Putin and his Russian military and security Security apparatus have been using and continuing to use a variety of tactics to destroy America, stoking ideological and racial division and much more. So we're going to talk about it today with Rebecca Koffler. She is Russian born and grew up behind the Iron Curtain, but she eventually became a U.S. intelligence expert working with both the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Central Intelligence Agency's National Clandestine Service. She is now an independent consultant and is warning America about the real dangers that Russia poses to us in her book. It's called Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America. And Rebecca, it's just wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Janet. It's great to be here, too. Oh, I'm just absolutely mesmerized by your book. And I don't say that very often, but I go back to the period following the Cold War. And I remember this very well. A lot of us Americans remember the end of the Cold War, feeling confident that communism and the former Soviet Union as a mortal enemy were now things of the past. Now, as you say Putin wants a rematch. And that's very obviously scary and very upsetting for a lot of Americans to hear. But how did we get to this place from feeling very confident that the Cold War and all the problems with Russia were over? And now we have Putin on the march here. Right. Uh, Janet, well, you were not the only one who thought that the Cold War was over and uh, we were supposed to get this uh, proverbial peace dividend our national security apparatus uh, thought that as well and uh, was completely blindsided by Putin and his master plan to defeat America. The Soviet Union uh, collapsed, but the Russian people and the former KGB officer, Putin, never really got over the demise of the Soviet Union, which they believe America was at least partially responsible, if not fully responsible for. Not the socialism that destroyed uh, the Soviet Union, but America supposedly was presenting a threat to Putin, and this is why he currently wants a rematch, like you said. Well, it's crazy. One of the ways you describe it is that he wants to reclaim Mother Russia's rightful place in the world. So in a way, this is about revenge. But how has he gone about doing that? Where did this all begin? I know you mentioned, for example, in 2013, that was kind of a turning point, but that Russia was ramping up its covert spy wars, you said, against America. Is that kind of when Putin really got going on his secret plan to destroy America and defeat America, or was it earlier than that? It was actually earlier than that, Janet. And uh, the reason uh, it was earlier than that, um, the grudge sort of um, uh, began 
to be held, if you will, right after the collapse of the Soviet Union, which was in 1991. And uh, Putin, when he became the Russian president, he said the uh, fall of the USSR was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the uh, previous century. So as early as 1991, there were uh, plans to somehow undermine America. And so the 10 spies, the uh, sleeper agents, which uh, event- whom eventually President Obama exchanged, they infiltrated the United States pretty much shortly after. Um, you know, the sleepers uh, who were, were exchanged in 2010. Yeah. And on Putin back then, uh, Russia was still weak, but the intelligence services were developing a plan and uh, Putin was ensuring that he's modernizing his military in order to develop a full arsenal of tools to undermine America. And eventually they did develop that plan. And that's what my uh, book reveals. It's a top secret plan. Um, and um, people can actually, even though the government tried to, you know, censor me, people still um, can get a pretty good idea from my book what's in store if we don't put up a counter strategy against Russia. Well, right. And a lot of your book, a good portion of your book is redacted. And it's kind of jarring to read a book that's redacted the way it was. But certainly there are things that the government doesn't want you to say. It makes us more curious. It's interesting, though, when you mentioned the Obama administration, because you say that scores of Russia analysts were being forced out of the DIA during the Obama administration. And you had your own position unjustly taken away. That's extremely alarming at the very time when we need the best Russian experts possible. What was going on? Do we have any insight as to why that occurred now that you're a few years removed from that? So um, we don't really uh, know still what was going on uh, during the Obama administration, uh, including in the run-up to Putin's invasion of Ukraine's Crimea. But as you said, and as I revealed uh, in the book to the government's uh, dismay, scores and scores of analysts and intelligence officers were fired, were accused of espionage. It was almost as though someone was deliberately destroying the analytic and operational capability inside the intelligence community to be able to properly Uh, collect on the Russian target and protect Americans. And so, as we know, during the Obama administration, the feudal policy of reset was the main focus. And so when we were trying to warn the decision makers, the policy makers, the White House, that uh, Russia had a plan to defeat America and um, and uh, potentially sees a war as inevitable, mm-hmm. we were told that America is not interested in a war with Russia, and therefore we should not be worrying about that. And it was all about reset. So that was completely um, misguided uh, policy and very naive and incompetent policy. 
that that administration pursued. No doubt about it. And I mean, Obama was the one who was laughing at Romney over even raising the possibility that Russia could be a threat to us as if that's, oh, come on. That's the old Cold War stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was livid, uh, Janet. I thought at that point when I heard that he must not be getting his intelligence briefings, you know, unlike Romney. And that is simply because he was so um, consumed by the flawed idea of a reset. In fact, you know, every U.S. president for the past, you know, ever since the Cold War, really, um, and since the demise of the Soviet Union, has tried a reset. And that's basically this policy just doesn't work. Russia will never be our friend. It does not have friends. It's just not the type of, you know, frame of mind that um, that 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 the Russians have, and especially a former KGB officer, former being in quotes, of course, um, they just do not think in that way. Right. Well, do you see America as a whole being naive? Uh, and I don't know if you would separate those in the government from those who are just regular Americans, but do you think Americans really have a sense of what kind of danger we might be in? I think ordinary Americans do not, and that is partially because the um, the government has been concealing from them what's really going on. I mean, we have news here and there about cyber attack here, you know, cyber attack there, um, but it's all incident reporting. The national security leaders have not come out and said that Russia is actually at war with us. Good not grief. Only- yeah, you know what? Hang on just a moment, Rebecca. We do need to pause for a short break. We'll come right back. Rebecca Koffler with us. Putin's Playbook is her book, and we'll come back after this on Janet Meffer Today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people. And, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger or spiritual hunger is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa, on average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. As we went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. Uh, the church had about um, about 100 people, and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can, you know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the word of God. Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph in South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. 
You can be the answer to a Bibleist believer praying for God's Word through Open the Floodgates, Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and your gift right now of any size will help us reach our goal to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YESWORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the Scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, this is a very important read. Putin's playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America by Rebecca Koffler, my guest. And she is Russian-born. She grew up behind the Iron Curtain, and she also worked as a U.S. intelligence expert. So she knows whereof she speaks. Rebecca, when we were going to that last break, you were outlining how the Americans really have not been told about the threat uh, that Russia poses to us right now. And is this kind of, you know, going back to the reset mindset or is there something more nefarious, do you think? I don't, well, I think partially it's the reset. Partially it's because the government does not really want to admit that they are not prepared to counter Putin's playbook. Hmm. Because Putin's playbook is, um, and and it's just sort of my... Um, my metaphor, if you will, for it, it's what it really is. It's called an asymmetric strategy. And it's a very nuanced, very sophisticated strategy that was developed on Putin's orders um, after the Russians studied America for more than 20 years and how we conduct war. And they have determined that we have a superior, uh, highly technological way of war fighting. And therefore, they developed an asymmetric strategy that would bypass that, that would use cyber weapons, space, counter space, active measures, something like intimidation, like the directed energy weapons that have recently been used against U.S. uh, diplomats in Vienna. And uh, he can use, uh, Putin that is, uh, military, traditional military strike, including nuclear weapons. But the preference is to destabilize and subvert the country from within. And we kind of see the result of it. And so the U.S. government does not want to admit it doesn't have an answer. I mean, we've seen this after cyber attacks. Joe Biden kept saying how he's going to respond, how he's not going to stand for that. But nothing has really happened. The Russians have not really um, gotten the message not to do it. They they keep doing it, and uh, simply calling Putin killer does not solve the problem. So no. the Biden administration has been extremely soft on Russia, unlike the previous administration. Uh, the Trump administration's policy was extremely strong and very robust against Russia. My goodness. Well, now, going back to 2016, you said Russia was working against both Clinton and Trump while they were also trying to destabilize our country. What went on and what is going on right now? You had mentioned the cyber weaponry and, and doing kind of militarization of space and all these other things. But just in terms of the propaganda war, what are they up to? Uh, well, how are they helping to destabilize even in the midst of some of the current political turmoil? Right. So um, they continuously amplify existing tensions. So after 2016 election, our society was so polarized because um, uh, President Trump has almost became become a lightning rod because 
the corrupt intelligence officials in the upper echelons of our community created a, a mess, you know, the so-called um, uh, Russia-Trump collusion. And um, this was completely a conspiracy theory. It was not true. But what it did, they actually uh, did Putin's bidding. Our U.S. officials, who were corrupt, were doing Putin's job of destabilizing our society. And so the Russians now have amplified everything that happened after by supporting um, various as well as um, sort of both on both sides of political spectrum and um, uh, religious, ethnic, et cetera, et cetera, amplifying all the racial issues through disinformation. And people don't, don't know about it because they pose as Americans. And you cannot tell on the Internet, on the social media, who the person is, whether they are American or whether they are a Russian spy or whether you know, their dog, if you, if you will. So the Russians' strategy is specifically tailored for our mindset and how we think. And that's why they've been able to create this chaos. Well, yeah, something else that you mentioned in the book, which just was a, a very important point, was back in 2018, there was an activation and testing of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System uh, texted to people's cell phones. But as you said, hardly anybody noticed or cared. Why was that noteworthy, given your experience as an intelligence expert? What, what did that signal to you when that happened? Absolutely. It was, it was extremely important. So, as I said, um, uh, Russia's um, arsenal of tools that were developed specifically on Putin's orders include both non-military that I just described uh, that are asymmetric, uh, cyber and space, but they also uh, include traditional conventional capabilities, you know, weaponry that Russia has uh, spent the past uh, more than a decade actually modernizing. And so the Russians believe that a war, a kinetic war or shooting war, as um, uh, President Biden recently termed it, is not only possible, but is inevitable by uh, between the United States and Russia, including a nuclear war. So our government is, you know, needs to have a way of warning Americans. So it is important to have that kind of alert capability. But obviously that was done, you know, under the radar. And um, the, uh, Russia is not the only, you know, a threat for which we need to be prepared and for which we need that alert system. You know, as um, you may remember, we had an issue back in Hawaii where there was a uh, false alarm because yeah. instead of the uh, real um, or simulation rather environment, the alert was used in the real environment. So things like that. But unfortunately, the media that is all over like spicy, you know, things like Cuomo's uh, sexual escapades, you know, usually does not really pay attention to foreign policy issues and issues like national security, because it's all about, you know, clicks. They're busy um, chasing the bright and shiny objects rather than the real issue. What you know, it's interesting is you had made a comment that you feel increasingly like you're back 
in the USSR living in America. And when you mention the media, of course, this goes back in a lot of people's memories. I was in the Soviet Union as a teenager because I had taken Russian. And I remember at the time mm-hmm. experiencing Pravda and listening to the state radio. And I thought, we're, we are moving in that direction because even if you have a so-called free press in America, when everybody's on the same page and nobody wants to dissent, how in the world are we still a free people for long? You are completely correct, Janet, and it frightens me so much because um, I don't want my children to live under the same totalitarian system, you know, single uh, party line, lack of plurality of of opinion, lack of uh, um, dual party system. It's, uh, but it seems like we are going in that direction. I mean, uh, several types of media, you know, the mainstream media has pretty much become uh, American Pravdas. Yep. Um, they are in collusion, if you will, with the government, really. Um, and, um, and, and you know, things like cancel culture, things like, you know, deplatforming, um, what we're basically going is they're streamlining the opinion towards the party line. The minute you say something that is not consistent with the general orthodoxy that uh, the leftist uh, media and the government uh, are trying uh, to make us believe, then you get shut out. And in the Soviet Union, also, you were, uh, you could lose your job. You were losing, you know, uh, expelled from school all the way to uh, thrown, you know, in jail, be interrogated by the KGB if you expressed alternative opinion, the dissenting opinion. So yeah. that's why it frightens me so much. Right. And even when you see whistleblowers like Litvinenko being poisoned by polonium or Anna Polakoska, yes. everything she did in Chechnya, and then she's gunned down. I mean, these things are not lost on people who are paying attention. Is there any turning it around, though, Rebecca? Because it's very scary for all of us to consider what you've said, and you know whereof you speak, but what is the remedy? What should we be doing from here in order to, you know, disrupt Putin's playbook, as it were? So I think uh, uh, we need to do uh, two things. Uh, First is we need to fight socialism as hard as we can, because Socialism is a system that destroyed the Soviet Union, right? Yep. Putin is just delighted that we are going down that road. Uh, that way, he doesn't need to do much. He, he can just sit back and uh, uh, continue, you know, destabilizing our country without really going, you know, nuclear, so to speak, and, and, unless there's an unintended escalation of the conflict. So, so we need to basically take the issue to the ballot box and get back in the White House a strong president, because the Russians perceive that the Biden administration is weak, and therefore they can easily manipulate it, and you can see the result of it. Yep. Um, um, and, and so these are the, the two things. We need a strong leader back in the White House, and we need to fight as hard as we can things like critical race theory and socialism in general so that we remain a free country, uh, that we have a viable capitalist economic system, and we are the land of freedom and justice. 
Amen. It's such an important thing, not just to be said, but that you're saying it because you have the experience to know exactly what you're talking about. And and this is important for a new generation who don't remember the Cold War to learn from. And that's why I really highly recommend your book, Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America by Rebecca Koffler, who's been kind enough to join us today. And thank you so much, Rebecca, for this book. And thank you for being with us. It was just a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Janet. It's my honor. Thank you so much. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. When we are looking around our culture and trying to assess what is actually going on, I think we always have to keep Ephesians chapter 6 in mind. I really do, especially as these last days get worse and worse and worse. Here's an example of what's been going on. As you know, there has been plenty of violence in Portland all through the previous summer with the BLM and the Antifa violence and the burning of the federal courthouse and the resignation of police and everything that's been going on in Portland. I can't imagine wanting to even be in Portland at this point, which is really pathetic in a lot of ways because that's one of the great cities of the United States and it's just under siege because they have such horrendous politicians and they won't do anything about what's been going on. But this was very interesting. Over the weekend, Annie Nyo, who's been this post-millennial reporter on Antifa, he's written a book about Antifa, he showed some videos from Portland where Christians were gathering to pray on the waterfront. Apparently they were there to to hear that wonderful uh, pastor in Canada who had been, um, you know, nailed by the police in Canada for violating COVID restrictions. And it was just very upsetting to watch it. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it on social media, but all these Christians were out there and they were trying to just have a worship and prayer event and Antifa shows up and it's riot gear and it shields and starts harassing people and throwing stuff in the Willamette River. I guess their sound equipment was thrown in the river. They stole sandwiches. They stole water bottles belonging to the Christians. Uh, This was one interview that was conducted with a woman and another man who were there uh, as they were helping the pastor. It looked like get something out of his eye. And uh, by the way, the police didn't respond. So you have that to look forward to, I guess, in the future as well, that when Christians are being attacked out of nowhere, the police aren't going to do anything, at least if you're in Portland. But listen to this discussion of what actually happened. This is cut one. Can you tell us what happened? Um, so we were about to have a worship event, and uh, Antifa just rolled in like an angry mob, started throwing flash bombs at everybody, macing everybody, rotten eggs at everybody, um, black paint. Um, they threw a flash bomb into a group of kids that were out there um, from like four months old to like ten. Um, yeah, they were ruthless. Unbelievable. And this is a pastor? Yeah, I'm a pastor also. Walked up to ask him to stop. Walked up to ask him to stop throwing things at the children because there's kids down there. I mean, they're toddlers. Yeah. And they sprayed me too, obviously. 
Well, that's fantastic. Dozens of people, as Fox reports, carrying black umbrellas and shields, seen spraying red and yellow gas at the group of worshipers as other Antifa members steal sound equipment, lawn chairs, and wagons left across the lawn by families who had come to listen to Pastor Arthur Pawlowski, the preacher from Canada, originally from the Eastern Bloc, arrested in Canada for holding in-person worship services in violation of coronavirus restrictions. I love that guy, by the way. That was the guy who was filmed yelling, you're a bunch of Nazis, you're a bunch of Nazis, and throwing the police out of his church. That was the pastor they were gathering to hear. But you can kind of see the writing on the wall, can't you? With incidents like these, there'll be a little incident here and a little incident over there. And you see a little censorship here, a little cancel culture over there. And you begin to say, what is going on, Lord? What is going on? We're seeing more and more hostility rising against Christians, even in this situation, for no discernible reason other than these people are clearly doing the work of their father, who is not God, but the devil. These people are anarchists. They're violent. They, they're the complete opposite of Christians, and they need the Lord. They need the Lord, but unfortunately, they're not there yet. And so you're going to see things like this. And they were trying to make some comments about the fact that the Proud Boys clashed with them. I don't know what was going on there. All I know is Christians who are gathering peacefully, who are attacked by Antifa and the cops do nothing. You just go, where is this headed? Oh, here's something else you should know about. This is kind of touching on what I'm, I'm alluding to. The New York Times recently ran a piece Facebook's next target, the religious experience. The company is intensifying formal partnerships with faith groups across the U.S. and shaping the future of religious experience. And you get into this whole thing and they said how they're partnering with groups like Hillsong and Presbyterian Church USA, the super far left mainline liberal denomination and other groups. And they have non-disclosure agreements. So you don't know exactly what all they're planning here. But I'm thinking, I can't think of a worse idea than joining hands with Facebook as Christians for anything. Okay, I'm using the word Christian loosely for some of these groups, but be that as it may, Facebook wants to become the virtual home for religious community, they report. The partnerships reveal how big tech and religion are converging far beyond simply moving services to the internet. Facebook is shaping the future of religious experience itself as it has done for political and social life. Well, right, and we know how that's turned out. Let's see, they're in bed with the government trying to make sure that if you don't tow the party line on COVID, whatever it happens to be today, you know, Fauci's kind of licking his finger and sticking it in the wind to decide what his narrative will be today. If you're not on the Fauci page, Facebook will ban you for misinformation because a couple of 22-year-olds out in Silicon Valley didn't like what you had to say. And they're fact checkers. They're fact checkers. And the government is in on it too. Why would you trust these people? Not only that, but why you're giving up your data when you're on Facebook. I know people love Facebook. At one time I was on Facebook. It's nice as a social interaction place where you can find people from high school. Sometimes you realize why you no longer wanted to be in touch with those people. But other times it's great to make those connections, share baby pictures, whatever it is people like to do on Facebook. It's a way to keep in touch with people whom you don't see in normal life very much. I get that, but that's also how they suck you in to take your data and invade your privacy. I still don't understand with everything we've ever learned about Facebook and what Facebook does in order to give you free access to their site, what you're giving up. You are the product. 
I mean, you're the product when you're on Facebook. Now they're talking about getting involved in religious experiences. Oh, come to Facebook. Facebook will help you connect as a religious community. Yeah, until you say something like homosexuality is a sin, in which case they'll boot you off before you can even say, hey, what just happened here? Why in the world... It's nuts. Let's see. Part of this story, the company's effort to court faith groups comes as it is trying to repair its image among Americans who have lost confidence in the platform, especially on issues of privacy. Uh, Rightly so. Facebook has faced scrutiny for its role in the country's growing disinformation crisis and breakdown of societal trust, especially around politics. And regulators have grown concerned about its outsized power. Right. It's monopoly. Over the past week, President Biden has criticized the company for its role in the spread of false information about COVID-19 vaccines. Okay, Biden doesn't know which way is up. So who cares what he thinks? And then they quote Nona Jones, the company's director for global faith partnerships. I don't even like the way that sounds. And also a non-denominational minister. Nona Jones says, I just want people to know that Facebook is a place where when they do feel discouraged or depressed or isolated, that they could go to Facebook and they could immediately connect with a group of people that care about them. Last month, Facebook executives pitched their efforts to religious groups at a virtual faith summit. Sheryl Sandberg, the company's chief operating officer, shared an online resource hub with tools to build congregations on the platform. Okay, can we just say definitively here, When you are in a place in your society where you're seeing these people become big brother and they will ban you in a heartbeat, if you say something outrageous like Bruce Jenner is a man, I don't care if he calls himself Caitlyn and had all kinds of surgeries, he's a man, they'll ban you. Twitter will ban you. These people will kick you off their platform. Maybe they'll just suspend you for a time, but they'll kick you off the platform if you run afoul of the LGBT dogma. So why in the world would you want to be with these people informing any kind of Christian anything. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Admittedly, I left Facebook in 2018, one of the best decisions I ever made, because I don't need them to talk. I don't need them. I have a radio show. I don't need them to talk. I don't need their approval. I have free speech. If they're not going to let me have free speech, then I don't need them. And if more of us would do this, I think it would be a much better decision, but people are very addicted to social media and they don't want to give it up. But here's a question. Given the hatred for Christians that big tech has demonstrated over and over and over and over, do you really trust what they're going to do with the data on people who gather for religious experience? What do you think is going to happen with that data? especially given Facebook's connections with the government. Do you think that Facebook might potentially hand over information to the government at some point? Is that a possibility? Think about this, people. Let's do some critical thinking. Not the best move. There's more to come. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? 
Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to Mom, thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. All gifts are tax-deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Speaking of hating Christianity, I'm going to touch on this Netflix documentary, Pray Away, several times this week. I'm just going to do a little bit on it right now. Already covered some of it previously with my good friend Stephen Black from First Stone Ministries. But if you're not familiar with this documentary, it's just propaganda. It's just, you can't leave homosexuality behind. Okay, the Bible tells me you can, because such were some of you, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I believe God over propagandists in Hollywood. Sorry. This whole documentary is bringing forward people who claim they are XX gay. They tried the X gay thing and it didn't work for them. And therefore it doesn't work for anybody. And therefore it's a scam. And therefore it's dangerous and therefore we need to shut it all down. Now you've got an increasing number of gay activists uh, and I can think of a few off the top of my head who were not in the movie, but I've, I've heard this talk about, oh, the church is dangerous. We need to deal with the church. There needs to be a crackdown on the church over this, which raises a couple of questions. In the United States of America, you have freedom of association. If you do not want to be associated with a ministry that says the gospel of Jesus Christ can transform even the most entrenched sinner in the most entrenched sin, Jesus can set you free. It doesn't mean it's a cure-all. It doesn't mean that you pray away the gay. They've said that for years. Nobody's promising you pray away the gay. It's not that. What it has always been for faithful Christians and people who have left the homosexual lifestyle behind is transformation from the inside out. People recognizing that homosexual behavior is a sin and it is a damnable sin, just like many, many other sins are damnable sins, as First Corinthians 6 talks about, but that there is hope. There is hope. If you are caught in this sin, there is hope for you. 
And there are people whose lives are living testimony to this every single day. We had a number of them give their testimonies at our God's Voice conference a couple of years back. These people exist, but the people who don't want them to exist are constantly not only trying to censor them and discredit them, but just to shut them down altogether. This goes back, by the way, to the shuttering of Exodus International in 2013. And if you don't recall all the details of that story, I lived through a lot of that because I had confronted Alan Chambers. We had kind of a contentious interview. Basically, what happened was Alan Chambers and his then mentor pastor, Clark Witten, who had been the chairman of the Exodus board, had changed the bylaws at Exodus in order to basically take over the ministry and shut it down. It was just a sleazy maneuver, and it was based on the fact that Clark Witten was preaching this hyper-grace message that basically said... What you do doesn't matter. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can do anything. You can be a gay Christian and you're fine. And that was what Alan Chambers went on to promote. And when he started doing that, a number of us noticed it, called him out, and he got worse and worse and worse. His fellow cohort at Exodus, the guy underneath him, Randy Thomas, then came out and is embracing the gay lifestyle. And there were others as well. Now, one of the people involved in this movie is a woman who was involved with Exodus at one time. Her name is Yvette Cantu Schneider. And at one time she worked for the Family Research Council. And she is a big player, I guess, in this movie. But I want you to listen to a little bit of what she had to say in a previous interview where she talks about her journey. And and it ends very eerily, in my opinion. Listen to Yvette Cantu Schneider. This is a few years back. Cut to. So I was just sort of overwhelmed with what was going on and looking for some sort of comfort, safety, meaning to my life. I had been raised Catholic and felt that I really had a connection with God. I prayed all the time. I felt like he was there with me, that he was listening to me as sort of, you know, a companion and someone who was going to take care of me. And then I fell away when I was a teenager. And then when I walked into this church, I felt that feeling again and thought, oh, this is it. You know, I'm going to, God's here for me and this is where God is. So it, it was, I felt that I had to do it to please God. I had to say, okay, I'm not going to be gay anymore. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to live my life as a truly believing Christian. And so here's this pastor's wife and she said i saw a spirit of homosexuality on you and we have to cast it out i was so scared so they laid hands on me and they cast out the demon of homosexuality and they replace it with purity and holiness this is what they said and then they told me you can't do anything but go to work and come home and i was also shamed by now being told that I then had to go and tell all of my friends that I was gay or had been gay. All right. Some questions here. Uh, some big questions here. I'm not sure which church she ended up at, but if they're casting out the demon of homosexuality and saying you can't do anything but go to work and come home, that doesn't sound like a standard evangelical church to me. I don't know which church she was attending, but that's a red flag. Then she goes on. This is cut three. Yeah, so then I started working for Family Research Council, and that is a conservative political organization that lobbies on Capitol Hill, right? We write position papers, we meet essentially as lobbyists, we, meet, we met with congressional representatives, I did weekly, and pushing the anti-LGBTQ 
legislation. And then I got married to a man, started having kids. So I wasn't working anymore because if you're a good Christian woman, you're at home with your children and you're not pursuing a career. But I did start an organization called Living in Victory, which was a ministry that was to help people who didn't want to be gay doing things like that. And then I was hired by Exodus International, which was the largest ex-gay ministry in the world until it closed in 2013. They closed because Alan Chambers, who was the president, and Randy Thomas, the vice president, and I and others, were seeing that no one was changing. Okay, that, that's not true. That's not true. That's what Alan Chambers likes to claim. But if you read his book, and I read his book a few years ago and wrote an extensive review of it, you can still read that review on my website. I don't believe the man was ever saved in the first place. He's a full-blown gay activist. He's doing, he's done a Washington National Cathedral LGBT services. And I mean, the guy's completely off the reservation. So... No, what happened was there was heretical theology that was embraced by these top leaders at Exodus. They pulled a fast one, took over the ministry, refused to work with the people who wanted to save Exodus. I mean, that's the real story. Then she ends with this call. This is cut for. We had been in it now for a couple decades and seeing, okay, people are, they'll get married to someone of the opposite sex. They'll have kids and then they'll either divorce or, you know, infidelities, things like that. And we're not seeing anyone who's just truly changed after we've been doing this over and over and over again with people and not seeing anyone change. And to see, you know, the sort of coerced, manipulated, forced change that never happens and people getting depressed, suicidal, you know, just ruining their lives, trying to force themselves into a box. And I'd like to say something about conversion therapy, if I can. And I don't really like that term. It's a catch-all term, and we're using it to end, you know, to pass legislation to end the practice of conversion therapy, which is to change gay people to straight. But it doesn't cover churches. You're not going to be able to legislate what churches do. So there's going to have to be a sea change. Uh-huh. There has to be a sea change. you got to stop that church. Makes you ask, what's her theology now? Well, hang tight here. From her own website, she has a book out called Never Not Broken. And this is what she says. Never Not Broken is her story of a woman suffering from crippling anxiety who descends into the abyss of her own psyche where her sense of identity and trenchant religious beliefs are shaken by spirit guides who help heal her wounds and show her who she truly is, spirit guides. So you get into the world of the occult. Learning that her young daughter has leukemia, the vague anxiety that had plagued Cantu Schneider for several years erupts into ceaseless panic. Desperate for relief, she sees a psychotherapist who introduces her to guided imagery meditation to heal trauma. Over the course of her daughter's treatment, Cantu Schneider encounters in meditation animals, goddesses, and other guides who show her that it is the wounded feminine within her that pushed her to find meaning and acceptance in a rigid religious structure and to become a spokesperson for controversial sociopolitical causes. Now, you feel so sorry for her having to struggle with her daughter having leukemia. I can't imagine anything worse. But she turned to spirit guides and embraces goddesses and the feminine within. Well, of course she's going to hate Christianity. Do you think Pray Away got into all of that? Not that I've heard of. 
This is what I'm saying. These people are propagandizing the general public with these sob stories, but they never tell you the truth, the complete truth about why they are where they are. And that's the deepest tragedy of all. Pray for these people. And by the way, we are at the tail end this week of our Bible League campaign to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa for fellow believers who don't have a copy of God's Word. If you can help, it's $5 to send one Bible. We would really appreciate your help. Here's the number to call, 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. God bless you. Thank you guys so much for all your generosity. We really love you and appreciate you. And we'll see you next time.